Welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Here to introduce you to the great musicians and music businesses and organizations of Wisconsin. Every week, Wisconsin Music Podcast will be bringing you great information on what's happening in the Wisconsin music world. For our music-loving listeners, we'll bring you music that you haven't even heard of yet from unique and talented artists and hear about their journey so far. You'll either hear live performances of their songs or songs from their selected discography. For our musicians out there wondering what they can do to further their recognition, we'll be calling upon Wisconsin music businesses and organizations to enlighten you on what they're doing to help further your music journey. And now, here's your host, Zach. Thanks, Dean. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Wisconsin Music Podcast. This week, we have two guests. The first guest we're going to listen from is from Lizzie Chikowski from Make Music Milwaukee. So let's listen to her information first. Welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. We have Lizzie Chikowski. Did I say that right? Yes. Awesome. Um, And she is the city administrator for Make Music Milwaukee and the outreach and events coordinator for Brass Bell Music Store. This year, she's working with both groups to plan Make Music Milwaukee, a free citywide celebration of music this coming June 21st, which um, will be next Monday when this airs. So it'll be a week from this airing. Um, Make Music Milwaukee is a chapter of Make Music Day, which is an international day of music celebrated in over a thousand cities across the world. Um, Make Music Day started in 1982 in France, and I think um, from there, I think Lizzie should take over and kind of give us a whole kind of timeline of this whole event coming up. Absolutely. So thanks for having me. Uh, as you mentioned, Make Music Day is on June 21st, and we have a chapter here in Milwaukee that we call Make Music Milwaukee. Um, there are about 100 chapters across the United States and a thousand uh, different cities that participate across the world. So uh, we're really excited to be one of those chapters. Wisconsin is very mighty um, with our numbers for chapters as well. I believe we're up to about 13 now in Wisconsin, which is really, really fun. So um, it's really, yeah, it's incredible to celebrate all across our state, not just across our across our city. So uh, Make Music Milwaukee celebrates within the greater Milwaukee area. Um, We're lucky enough to have so many Milwaukee bands and uh, organizations that perform across uh, just our region in general. So we like to celebrate uh, across the region as far as uh, Brookfield, um, into Bayview. We have some uh, folks in Glendale who are performing and then of course in Milwaukee proper. Um, This year we have 18 venues as of right now. Um, and even this morning, I was lucky enough to talk to a couple of different organizations who, who still want to sign on. So 2021 has been interesting for everyone, of course. Yes. Um, and so if you are listening and you want to sign on, it's not too late. If you're ready to get out there and perform or host music, absolutely uh, join us. So a little bit more about the day. We celebrate it um, on the longest day of the year as far as the sun goes. Of course, we wish right. you can have a day where there's more to- more than 24 hours in a day. But uh, we officially uh, say that it's from 9 to 9 because that's, you know, when... Um, noise ordering ordinances right. allow. <laughs> right, right. Um, and yeah, so we have folks who are performing virtually. We have folks who are performing um, outdoor performances and some who are also performing indoors. Um, 
And this year we have just to kind of feature uh, some of the places that have already signed on. We have um, the Florentine Opera is hosting a performance uh, with their garage door open um, in River West. And they are also live streaming if you would prefer to live stream. That's going to be um, at the one o'clock hour. So maybe a nice little lunch break. Uh, the Beer Garden at the Pfizer Forum is going to be hosting some musicians throughout the day. Um, we are lucky enough to be sharing Make Music Day with a playoff day. So if you want to celebrate both, you can down by the For Pfizer Forum. The 310 W building downtown if you're not familiar um, with the name it's the beautiful blue building that's downtown they have a great uh, courtyard area and uh, musicians will be playing down there the UWM steel pan group will be uh, playing over the noon hour as well as several other amazing groups throughout the day um, and then the Schlitz Audubon Nature Center is also going to be hosting performances in the evening so if you want to take the family down for a picnic maybe go for a walk uh, they'll have some outdoor performances. So that's just a couple of the great venues that are going to be participating this year. Um, the idea of the day is really to include everyone. It's all the performances are completely free. So um, you can come down, you can check out the website, um, Milwaukee at makemusicday.org and, um, and see what you'd like to do all throughout the day. So I don't know if you have any questions so far, but <laughs> I'm just really excited. I just can't stop, you know, sharing all the great things that are going on. <laughs> cool. Very cool. So um, how did you get involved with Make Music Day? Sure. Um, so I, as you had mentioned, am the outreach and events coordinator at Brassbell Music as well. And Brassbell has um, kind of taken ownership of being the city administrator for the past five years. Though Make Music Day has been going on, as you mentioned, much longer than that. We just um, have officially been the, the people who make sure it, it happens in Milwaukee for the past five years. And, um, and so... I kind of took on the city administrator role through Brass Bell, though we're always um, looking for volunteers, people to join us in the committee and, and really make it a citywide event by making it, um, you know, participating with so many different organizations. So we don't consider it a Brass Bell event. We just happen to uh, make sure it happens each year. <laughs> Say someone who's never been involved with this is excited to be a part of this. You said you can yes. go to their website and sign up. But yes, what are all the things that they need to do to make sure that they are prepared or have a successful Make Music Day on the 21st? Great question. So um, the first thing to do is to go on the website and create a profile. Um, there are a couple of different ways you can do this. If you are a venue and you know that you want to host musicians, but you don't necessarily have some in mind, you can still sign up and we can match you. We have, it's almost like a Tinder for <laughs> Make Music Day. <laughs> so if you're a performer and you need a location, you can sign up and you can see who's still looking for performers and same with venues. If you're a venue and you're looking for performers, we can match you in. And I'm almost like a Yenta of, you know, <laughs> uh, make music day and, and I can match you and, and help that happen. Um, there's some there's some places who have created their own events that are free and they just want to celebrate the day in their in their own way. And they have completely scheduled the whole thing. That's terrific. Please sign up that event as well. You don't have to be matched. You can create a profile and, and list it. Um, there are several 
different events that are happening that were free that day that are music related. And they, they said, Hey, Lizzie, can we sign up and spread the word and celebrate with you? Even though we signed or we um, created this event before we even knew make music day existed. Absolutely. We want to definitely promote as much free uh, musical activities in our city throughout the day as possible. Very good. Very good. Cool. Before COVID hit, obviously it was a different kind of event. We didn't have, you know, the virtual stuff and stuff like that. So kind of give us an an idea of what it looked like before COVID hit. Absolutely. So in 2019, we had over 70 performances performances happening on June 21st, 2019, which uh, was a record and we were really excited. We were hoping 2020 was going to be 100 performances. Right. Um, And so we had a, a lot it was easier for people to decide to sign up, of course, because there weren't as many um, things to consider uh, what the venue's uh, precautions are at that time, um, what sort of social distancing needs to be in place. And so 2020 um, was definitely a different year. It was it was completely virtual. And that was a huge shift. It was sort of at first in May, we were like, Oh, no, is it even going to happen this year? And then we had people reach out saying, we really feel connected by sharing our music. Can we still do this virtually? And when they mentioned that it's like, of course, why would we not do that just because we can't do it in person. And I think that's something a lot of musicians could relate to around the spring of last year. How do we share our music? And so, um, we had a small make music day, but it was really impactful. It it was wonderful to connect with those musicians that we had in the past and uh, keep just keep that relationship going and, and see what they had been up to um, continue to support one another. So uh, this year, of course, like you mentioned, is, is different. We have uh, virtual activities, but we've been able to embrace it in a way that um, maybe we hadn't thought to in 2019. We're really excited to have the UWM Music Live doing a virtual tour and um, sharing their resources that they have. Um, and that maybe isn't something that we had thought of before. Um, but now it's like, oh, we have this virtual component. Everyone can tune in from wherever they are and see this great Milwaukee resource that we have for our music community. So um, I think that virtual will be something that we'll always have an option for if that's something that someone wants to do. But we are happy to be able to have some in-person music again this (laughs) year. Uh, Like, again, I think we can all relate to. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. And so next year is going to be the 40th anniversary of make music from France. Yes, yes. Yes. Starting in France. Maybe you'll hit that hundred performances next year for the 40th anniversary. I do hope so. Mark your calendars already June 21st. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so as we're wrapping this up um, next week, um, the week after this one um, goes live, we're going to have a group um, that has participated in this. Yes. Cosmic Endeavors is uh, the group that uh, will be the June 21st Make Music Day podcast, but they're also performing on Make Music Day. Correct. And then, so they've performed with uh, Make Music in the past, correct? Yes. Well, so Cosmic Endeavors, I believe, actually started over the pandemic. I'll let him tell, I'll let Julian tell the story. But um, that, those musicians have been... um, 
regular performers in the community, particularly uh, Julian, who you'll meet next week, but he has participated in several Make Music Day events, and they um, have really been active in this music community the past year with the group Cosmic Endeavors, and uh, we're excited to have them on Make Music Day performing again in person. Uh, after this past year. So um, yeah, so Julian has been a really major participant of Make Music Day in past years, and I'm excited to have him again this year. I'm excited to talk with him uh, as well next week. And I guess as um, we finish this up, why don't we repeat one more time where um, people can go to sign up their venue or their group for uh, participating in Make Music Milwaukee. Definitely. So if you want to just uh, see what events are going on, it's it's updated every day. It's makemusicday.org slash Milwaukee. And um, to know what sort of national events are going on, uh, you can visit makemusicday.org. To sign up, there's a link on, on our website um, and you can sign up to be matched or you can sign up your, um, your already existing performance and it's not too late. Excellent. Excellent. And you also have a Facebook and Instagram. So I'll put the website, Facebook, Instagram links in the show details. So if anybody wants to check that out, they can either check that out on the Wisconsin Music Podcast website or in the, like I said, the show details that are listed with this podcast. Lizzie, thank you so much for being on the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Thank you so much for telling us about the information about this great event coming up on the 21st of June, which is not which is not too far away once this goes no. <laughs> aired. So, um, and I look forward to talking with you again in the future and hopefully we can do this again next year. Thank you so much. I appreciate your support. No problem. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. So if anybody is interested in participating in Make Music Milwaukee, check it out. Um, the website again is makemusicday.org slash Milwaukee. Diamond Dave Photography, the photography that supports local music in Wisconsin and is ready to work with your band or any solo artist on your next promo pictures or band show. To contact Diamond Dave and see previous work, check out Diamond Dave Photography on Facebook and Instagram. Wisconsin Music Podcast is also brought to you by ZTF Studio. ZTF Studio, recording and mixing services, specializing in singles, demos, EPs, and LP projects for the last 20 years in southeastern Wisconsin, doing jazz, rock, funk, country, indie, and more. Our next guest is Howard's Groove. Their bio says that their stylistic influences span multiple genres, indie pop, folk, experimental, rock, and R&B. They're a relatively new band, which just formed and recorded their debut EP, Opal, in the span of just a couple months, which happened during COVID. They say their influences are likened to Wilco, Fleet Foxes, Alex G, Home Shake, and a plethora of others. Howard's Groove incorporate vocal harmonies, layered rhythms, and glistening guitars and synths to capture nostalgia for a time that they weren't around. So let's get right into the interview. Guys, welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Why don't you guys start by introducing yourselves? Sure. Um, my name is Loby. Uh, I play guitar, lead vocals, and I also do all the production and recording in the band. Yeah, my name is Kai. I play mostly keys, but I've been doing a lot of vocals. Yeah, and currently with uh, that is not with us is our drummer Alex. He uh, plays drums and occasionally does some guitar tracks. And uh, our uh, bass player, who's uh, they're both currently working because uh, they were both called in uh, to work. But um, then we have Cameron, who's our bass player. He plays electric bass, upright uh, keyboards, and also does vocals. So why don't you guys give us your 
music origin story. Just kind of like tell us how you've gone through getting into music and how it led you to where you are now. For me, uh, specifically, a lot of it had to do with um, my upbringing. Uh, my father was a, a bass player and he played in a lot of lounge lizard bands in the 70s and part of, uh, and part of the 80s. Okay. He always had, he was also left-handed too. So growing up, he always had instruments, but they were always strung upside, or they were always left-handed or strung upside down. And I remember from a young age, I'd constantly be stealing his acoustic and trying to play it handed upside down. Uh, and <clears throat> I'd ask him like, you know, can you teach me? Can you teach me? And he was always like, no, no, you know, you're, you know, you're not ready or whatever. Not necessarily discouraging, but like, he just didn't, he wasn't a good teacher and he knew that, you know? Um, but, uh, I remember, um, my first musical journey, I guess, if you want to call it that, um, was when I, I think it was just after he passed away, uh, in 2009, I was 11 years old. And, um, when he passed away, I, uh, I pretty much picked up his bass and we were selling a lot of stuff. And, uh, of course, naturally the amps and stuff went first. Uh, and most of his other instruments did, but there was a bass uh, that he still had. It was a left-handed jazz bass. Okay. Yeah, I remember flipping it upside down uh, so I could play it and then resting it on a cardboard box that we had where we were packing his stuff and listening to me playing the bass using the box as like a pseudo amplifier for like the vibrations. Uh, and then from there, it was it was less about connecting with my dad and more about just coping about his loss because I never really shared a relationship of music with him. It was just something that was around. Yeah. And it became a very big source of emotion for me. And so uh, I think in high school, I joined the jazz band. I was in jazz band two, which was like the second highest. And I did some stuff with jazz one, but I was not that good or anything like that. Um but I, you know, I started a high school band with some friends and naturally that didn't go anywhere. Uh, and then I, afterwards, um, after the band broke up, I bought out my share and everyone else's share of the drum kit. And I started recording demos on this uh, Tascam reel-to-reel. Okay. Uh, or not reel-to-reel, sorry, but a Tascam um, Porta Studio cassette recorder. It was like a four-track cassette recorder. And I recorded a lot of my first demos under the project name Meta Discourse. And then from, from about age 17, I believe, after I recorded that up until now, I've just been constantly doing music. It's been a complete passion. I moved here uh, in Milwaukee in October and Meta Discourse project on hiatus and, and met up with some friends I knew here. Uh, Alex and Cameron used to play in Howard Grove together, or sorry, where I grew up, I uh, used to play in um, Ginger Power Trip together, which was their band before us. And so they knew each other and, and you know, and they played with Meta uh, for a long, you know, for a few, you know, for a show and, and we jammed a lot. So naturally we started a band with them and uh, Kai came into the fold because we needed a keyboardist and uh, he had the keyboard experience and, and, uh, you know, and he, his chemistry just worked with the band. So um, that's kind of where we are now. Uh, yeah, well, I appreciate that. Um, I guess for me, it, I ever since I was a little kid, I was always messing around on the piano. 
And obviously my parents thought that it would be a good idea to take like classical music lessons, but I ended up quitting very quickly and I hated it because mostly it was just memorizing old songs that weren't that interesting in my opinion. Yeah. And yeah, I just started messing around. Like I just learned about how the piano was arranged and why and what scales were. And then after that, you know, it, basically became an obsession. What about, tell them, tell them about like the synth stuff that you were messing around with on FL Studio too. Oh yeah, I mean, at, when I was still in high school, I was messing around with a bunch of FL Studio stuff. Um, I got a little synth that I could plug into my laptop so I could mess around with all the sounds more. Um, as a musician in general, it definitely opened up the world to a lot more sounds that you can make traditionally on the piano. Yeah. Yeah, and that that incorporating like because we're we're huge proponents of sampling. Like the string sounds on our songs are actually recorded when I sampled uh, some old high school. I would use, I used to sneak into the orchestra pit during our lunch, and I would re- do recordings of them tuning in unison. Yeah. Um, and once they would all tune in open G. I just recorded and used like a resampler and re, you know, with a repitch function. And it kind of, kind of sounds like, you know, uh, the flaming lips with their use of like the MIDI mellotrons and stuff like that with the Tascam where it has that weird modulation and bending. Yeah. But yeah, for the tangent, <laughs> we're super into that. <laughs> no, that's cool. That's, that's really cool. Cause everybody has their own way of creating music. And if we all did it the same way, it'd be pretty dang boring. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. You guys talked about being in different bands, but now we're in Howard Gro- Groove. Why don't you guys kind of explain what the concept of the concept of this band is to the listeners? I guess the concept that I I, I can't speak for the other members because I think everyone in the band has their own idea or perception, but it, it re- generally revolves around just a collective of musicians who just want to have fun and make music. I, I guess is the bottom line of it. Like we're open to di- many different interpretations. There's not one single songwriter or band leader. We're always, you know, to be frank, we're all not afraid to tell each other when something sounds like shit, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and we work for the song and not for ourselves. You know, if, if yeah. Cameron take a lead vocal part and his voice works naturally with the song in question, and by God, he's going to do that. Or, you know, if Alex is going to play a guitar lead, even though he's our drummer, then he's going to do it because it, it makes the song. It doesn't right. matter to us who's playing what, as long as we're all playing and we're all having a good time and we're working together for the song. Yeah, I, I completely understand where you're coming from with that. Yeah, in my opinion, what the band means to me is mostly... It's more about making music from the soul instead of from right. the books. Yeah, yeah. If you know what I'm saying, like we don't try to like we try to like incorporate our own style, but it's not like it. It doesn't try to adhere to like a specific preset genre. Now, we try to play from our soul first. And what then, feels right, you know? Yeah. What feels right? Like I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna play something with with like, you know, extreme distortion or fuzz or like just crazy delays. If it's not, you know, because 
it's all about textures in my opinion too. You know, I think like um, what one thing in common that all forms of art have, whether it be cooking, painting, uh, you know, creating sculpture is composition or the parts or the ingredients that go together to make that final product, you know? So when we're all in agreement of the direction we want it to go and it just feels right and it sounds right and it sounds good, you know, we're not going to try to inject our own flair into something when it just doesn't work, you know? And I, I feel that, I feel that very adamantly. Do you have anything to add to that? Um, I mean, I, I definitely agree with what he's saying, mostly. I, I just think that we play with our souls, and at the end of the day, we, the music that we make is, like, that's how it is, you know? It speaks for itself. Yeah, music, yeah. <laughs> music speaks for itself. Yeah, when I was growing up, my dad basically said, we do it for the music, and everything else is just extra stuff on top of that. Absolutely. It's the garnish, right? It's the garnish of the dish. You have right. your your meat and potatoes, as they'd say, and then the image or the aesthetic will be the you know the 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 bay leaf or the parsley that's thrown on top there, you know, mm-hmm. which is in itself important, but I wouldn't say equally important because, like, David Bowie's album, I think, is Reality, where it has just that god awful, uh, <laughs> like he has like huge eyes and it's very cartoonish. But the album is fantastic. Yeah. He's always surrounded himself with fantastic musicians. So there he usually never has a really bad album from you know, depending oh, God, on how you no. look at it. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. I mean, even Earthling, which was just like using a lot of samples and the Amen break was all over that. And it was just it felt very plasticky, but in a great way. Like that was his goal. I mean, the cover art of him wearing that British flag trench coat and it's very sheened and, and shiny yeah it matches that aesthetic like it's a garnish right so like that that whole record even though it was something completely on the opposite end of like, <laughs> of like space oddity or you know or heroes it still was intrinsically bowie like you knew it was bowie yeah and that was the best part so how long has the band been together um December? yeah we Started actually no November. I think it was a month after I got here. I mean, we had talked about it in November. We were mostly just trying to find like practice space at that point, but we really got going in December and January. So this was happening during COVID. That oh yeah, absolutely put- yeah. We recorded that whole album in uh, Opal in the span of a month. Oh wow. Yeah, we mixed record. We recorded it, mixed it, and mastered it in in the times time frame of one yeah. month in the month prior to that we wrote we wrote it so yeah at that point we didn't really have very much else going on so <laughs> yeah <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> i was i just left my job working as a as like this uh low grade computer engineer for uh for the wisconsin school systems chromebooks and kai was on i think winter break right yeah, I was on winter break, and I had a solid month here where I wasn't doing anything. Yeah, so and then Kai and Cameron were both in between jobs, too. Or, yeah. or sorry, uh, Cameron and, and Alex were both between jobs. So, mm-hmm. you know, it just time aligned, you know. And you said you just got here, so where did you come from? I came from the Fox Valley, but um, my father 
due to his habits, we'll just say, uh, his drug habits, we moved around a lot. Okay. Uh, we would get blacklisted from, he would get blacklisted from jobs. My mom would be the last one left working and she couldn't support a family of five kids because I was the youngest of five. Okay. You know, she couldn't really support us that way. And, you know, so we were always moving. Um, I've, I've lived in almost every city in a bigger city in the state at this point. Um, I was born in La Crosse originally and we just kind of moved around a lot. My siblings were born in either my my two of my older sisters and my older brother were born in Florida. And then my sister who's four years older than me, the youngest of the sisters, she was born in Georgia. So also moved around a lot. And, um, you know, part of that kind of constantly moving, not having any lifelong friends really formed me to know what in life I wanted and what I didn't want. You know, I wanted a good support system of wholesome people, uh, who were real and, and who were genuine to how they felt and who they were as people. Yeah. And just and, and, and naturally um, my friend uh, who I lived with in, in Fond du Lac and he was one of the friends I've had the longest in my life convinced me to come down here practically not telling me like, Hey, come move down here. But he just showed me how great he was doing. And I thought maybe I could try doing the same. And, and to be honest, I'm the happiest I've been in my life. Oh, that's fantastic. Very cool. You guys are in your what mid twenties by now. I'm 23. Kai, I'm 19. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm the old man of the band. <laughs> <laughs> so Alex is 21 and Cameron's 20, so it's 19, 20, 21, and then book 23. So, because I was going to ask you what your thoughts were of venues in the area. It seems like you don't have a. I don't know. You tell me. Have you had a lot of experience oh, on going to? Oh well, well, that's great. You bring that up. We got. <laughs> The Bremen Cafe, uh, because they caught Kai or sorry, they caught uh, Cameron um, being underage, and they kicked me out too because I I guess they didn't like me. She didn't believe that I was twenty three. I had showed her I'm like, calm down, I'm twenty three, and then she's like, don't tell me to calm down. Whips my ID out of my hand, looks at it, and goes, all right, just because you said that, you can leave too. I'm like, all right, like okay. <laughs> But yeah, we played the Bremen Cafe's open mic a couple of times, and we've had, I think, pretty good response. Uh, people, you know, people were shouting our band name as we were getting kicked out. Like someone was like, "Free Howard Grove," <laughs> <laughs> as we were moving. And the first time we played there, because it's not the first time we played there either, because uh, we played there again uh, or previously rather. Uh, and on our way home, some dude on a bike was shouting our band name too, and. It was just wild. I've never had that happen in my life where someone on the street all throughout that week, we had someone in my work because I work at Goodwill currently come in and recognize me. We had someone on the street driving a car who recognized us and shouted the band name. It was, it's cool. That's you know? cool. I've never had that kind of recognition <laughs> ever. Yeah. Why don't we talk a little bit about the the local scene attitude? I mean, obviously you've you've mm-hmm. experienced the local scene. What are some of the positives that you've seen that it, that is yeah. towards you know local music? Uh, it's it's refreshingly positive because where I come from, the music scene was extraordinarily toxic. Um, you know, people were because I guess people wanted to be wanted to be the top band, and a lot of people let their hubris get in the way. Um, naturally, that in the Fox Valley cleaned up too. Um, so the Fox Valley scene is looking pretty bright as well right now, but here everybody supports each other. There's no beef or anything. Everybody is honest. 
We're all just, we're all supporting each other. We go to each other's gigs when we can. Uh, we, we consume each other's music. I'm, I'm always downloading the, one of my favorite hobbies is to find the next band in the scene and try to get their record or try to get their album, try to get their CD. And when I was playing in meta, when I was on tour, I was collecting the bands I played with. I collect their CDs. And that's one of my, I just love doing that because collect, it, it shows not only like a sonic sketch or scrapbook of where you've been and who you've been around, but it's just good music. You know, it's just, you know, I, I, I haven't played with a band where I didn't like their music and that's honest and earnest. And I've played, you know, maybe a hundred shows now in my life. And I, yeah, I gotta say like since playing in 2017 up until now, I, I loved every band's music that, that we've come across, you know? <laughs> yeah. In my opinion, um, the thing that stood out to me most about Milwaukee, I think, is that not only is there a fairly closely knit music scene, but the art scene in general is basically just a huge yeah. collective. Yeah, I mean, our friend Rick, who shot our music video, is a fantastic filmmaker. Going to plug, uh, he has a, a plug him. He's got a new film coming out, mm -hmm. uh, Pond Turned King. So uh, it's a short film. Yeah. His, his cinematography is fantastic. I mean, and on top of that, we have several people who are photographers, painters, uh, writers, actors, um, uh, in, in, you know, uh, activists out here who are really making a change and just making, making everything more positive. For everyone. Yeah, definitely. Unlike the place I grew up in, which was Florida, when I came here, if you go down to Brady Street, you can see hundreds upon like probably around 300 uh -huh. to 400 different types of things that people yeah. are doing with art and, and, and posting and posters, music. you know, there's, there's like, there, Oh, also clothing designers. Oh like yeah. Our friends, like, um, you know, Mike and Tommy, who uh, Tommy plays in a band called violent echoes. And they're also um, really into clothing and, and make some really fantastic clothes. And um, you know, there, there's like vintage pop-ups for clothes flyers. And there's like, um, you know, live streams and like new album out now available at exclusive company uh, posters everywhere. And we even put out posters and um, we've had people uh, text us who were artists themselves who found our music from that poster. And we were like, we, I don't, I don't think we have any expectations, even from the start of the band, we had zero expectations. We are like, just let's see what happens. And then later, a couple months after releasing our EP, we have people going out to our, our posters that we've posted in, in contacting us on Instagram and on Facebook and, you know, and just being really, you know, just great yeah. people. Isn't that how we're getting the animation for? Uh, uh, yeah, we, we you know, we're in the talks. We're in the talks right now in pre-production of an animated music video. We're also working on a script for another music video for our single or for the song off the album, Bradford Beach Hymnal. Uh, and, you know, uh, you know, with those two things going, it, uh, it's really exciting. I mean, yeah. it's that everybody here, you know, is willing to support each other. You know, I was offered the opportunity <clears throat> for a, for a new short film coming out by our friend Rick Puff Puff Bang, which is like a stoner comedy. I was offered a, a role in that movie, and um, you know, uh, I was offered a role to do some of the scores for some short films in the area, which has been a dream of mine to to do some form of of score for whatever kind of film there is. You know, um, I'm cool. more than happy. To definitely do it but yeah really great scene wholesome people extremely supportive extremely inclusive 
um, for the BIPOC and the queer communities. Uh, and, and it's, it's just, um, it's wonderful. It really is. It's, it's so, it's unreal, uh, how great the people are here. Um, and let's flip the coin over. What are th- some struggles that you've seen in the local, c- in the local scene that you think would benefit from improving? I would say just because of COVID, um, shows have been, you know, sporadic, understandably. Uh, and I, I got to say that you, since everybody's been down licking their wounds during COVID, uh, it allowed us to take a long, big look and realize how special of a thing we had. So everybody's been, you know, like I said, more wholesome. But I feel like also, too, I think that a larger connection should be made <clears throat> across all of the art forms that are in the city. I think that everybody, and I think that'll happen with time. It's not that it'll or that it's not happening, but it's evolving. <clears throat> and uh, will, what I think will happen in what needs improvement now is the general graduation of, of inclusion and less gatekeeping, uh, especially for venues and, and uh, for specific, you know, I guess, scenes within the city, whether it be the River West scene, the Upper East Side scene, which, of course, all those scenes have large overlap, but we're going to see a more larger overlap where it's not these scenes and neighborhoods, but it's now scenes of the city as hockey as a whole and including all of the suburbs. And we're going to I think that's what will need what, what needs to happen in that, I think, is what is currently happening right now. I don't know if you- oh, go ahead. Completely agree with whatever, like everything you're saying. Um, yeah, I mean, I th- I think on the other side of this pandemic, I think things are going to be different for the art um, art scene. You know, no matter what, because it's it's basically forcing it to change. Right. And I think it's going to be for the better. At least I hope so. I I, I to be honest, I I believe so because. Um, you've seen, I mean, all of this new music coming out, like, um, you know, there was bands like Dog Bad, Shout Out to Parker and Social Sig, you know, coming out with all this just fucking great music. Uh, and, um, Ellen from Dog Bad, they released a solo record, I believe, under the name Violet Head, which is like a, uh, ambient electronic album, or more, more or less actually, um, Synthwave, and it's it's fucking awesome too and and there's just you know and then like bands like sterling which you know are kind of on that more like uh heavier side coming out with stuff and mm-hmm. um just establishing themselves more and, and experimenting more for the sake of music and less for the sake of labels uh as in like what kind of music they're making or they're just they're doing it for the expression because i feel like what covid made all of us realize is how important art is how important music is, how important unity is. And I think that's what's forcing us to all change. And, and it's frankly beautiful, honestly. Yeah. With shows playing, it just made it more about making the art instead of trying to perform the art. I, I agree. I agree. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to see where this is going to go in the next, you know, five years, how different it's going to be positively. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's going to be an explosion of just new music, maybe new genres. 
um, you know, and just new acts coming out of the woodwork with the totally unique sound. And that's another thing, too, about this scene is that every band sounds unique here. Every artist sounds unique. Everybody's artwork is unique. Everybody's filmmaking, everything. Mm-hmm. It's all unique. And, and it's that's the beautiful thing, you know, not to say that it's was this it was, you know, it, you know, in dissimilar or, or just similar the previous time before COVID. But um, we're starting to see people become more true to themselves and in, in more individual. No, totally. Yep. Um, let's talk about the current project. I know you touched on it a little bit earlier, but, um, mm-hmm. let's take it from the very beginning to the end, like t- take the, the listeners through the whole journey of the album. Yeah. Sure. Uh, we actually recorded bits of sunrise to sunset first. Um, yeah. I believe Cameron was the one who wrote the chords to that song yeah what happened was is i had this drum beat i had recorded and um or actually no yeah it was from the casio keyboard that that cameron used to record that and i think we were a little bit drunk one night and we said well fuck it let's just start recording with what we have uh so we recorded uh, that night we recorded the bass, uh, his Casio keyboard and the drum machine. And then I did the string samples for it. And then um, I think the next day we had uh, Kai come over and we did like his keyboards, uh, yeah, I his did. synthesizers. And then we did uh, the guitar. Yeah. So, um, yeah, when we recorded, I did all the keyboard parts. Um, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Including the intro. Well, you didn't do the, you didn't, so the only thing, the only keyboards that you didn't do were the Casio that that Cameron did. But yeah, every other synthesizer that was on that, on the album, frankly. Yeah. Yeah, but in my opinion, I give Cameron props to the foundation of that song. Yeah, absolutely. He he came in and and I guess he just started messing because he was like, I found this Casio in my closet from ages ago and it had like a broken key and, and it just, uh, it was just charming, you know? And so we plugged it in. Uh, it had a 3.5 millimeter jack. So I used like a head adapter and uh, aux cable and we plugged it in, we recorded it and we recorded the drum machine for the whole song. And then we uh, had Alex, we went to the frat with the triangle fraternity where we have our rehearsal space. And I brought my Focusrite 18i8 and my microphones and my mic stands. And we used uh, Kai's keyboard to track all the drum tracks. And then I recorded in the middle of that song, there's that, you know, yeah, that like synth. the arpeggiation. That part. arpeggio synth was actually a guitar played through a Roland GT6 multi effects pedal with the auto riff keyboards. Uh, uh, sound going into my pedal board with the reverb and the modulated delay. And um, we just kind of did that within the sampled strings and um, made kind of, and then before, I think before we even were done, we were like, this song sounds very R and B. Like we were like, this song sounds like very yeah. smooth. And we knew that none of our voices could do it justice. So I tried the be- the hardest I could with the vocals, which I think turned out right. Um, and then we, you know, we were, we wanted one of the emphasis uh, of the, of the album 
uh, before we started is we wanted to do vocal harmonies. We wanted really stacked vocal harmonies in specific parts of the album, uh, not to make it like a trope, but to make it like something that would be part of our sound. Mm -hmm. So we did like vocal harmonies and we uh, underneath the vocals. And then I guess the track just sort of formed itself um, at that point.
Uh, then we just, we went back to rehearsing, right? Yeah, I think, mm-hmm. we, yeah, we went back to rehearsing and we brought together multiple song ideas. I brought the idea of, of, um, I think the next one yeah. was what's in it for us. Yeah, what's in it for us, which is our, which was our lead single on the album. And I brought the uh, guitar idea. It was just rough guitar chords. And, um, yeah, it just built upon yeah, there. It built upon that. And then I brought guitar chords for up to, or sorry, for, uh, uh was, oh, the miracle. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. And then, but, but to go back to what's in it for us, um, I just had this guitar uh, chord progression that we were, uh, kicking around. And, um, I just started writing, I think we were recording, uh, you know, all the parts to it. We still didn't have vocals, uh, ideas. We didn't have any lyrics written, uh, but we knew the song structure because we rehearsed it for like a week at that point. And, And it was one of our main things we were working on. So we recorded all that. And then I just, while I think Alex was doing the, or no, uh, Cameron was doing the bass. I just started record, like writing down vocals uh, for it. And the song is basically just about feeling like things were robbed from us. That disdain for the current situation with COVID, the disdain for um, what's happening politically and geopolitically, um, just with the handing, handling of, of the coronavirus by Trump. <laughs> and uh, um, just, you know, the 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 scared feeling I had for my mother who was, you know, you know, she's not the healthiest person and, and, and she's in her sixties. So I, I think that's where that kind of came from. And so there was like this overarching thing from that song onward of just that general disdain for the situation. And I think that's the main message or the main theme of the album is just the general disdain for the current situation. And, how it could have been handled better and um, just how we're trying to make do as best we can with what we have. Yeah. Oh, 
Diamond Dave Photography, the photography that supports local music in Wisconsin and is ready to work with your band or any solo artist on your next promo pictures or band show. To contact Diamond Dave and see previous work, check out Diamond Dave Photography on Facebook and Instagram. Wisconsin Music Podcast is also brought to you by ZTF Studio. ZTF Studio recording and mixing services, specializing in singles, demos, EPs, and LP projects for the last 20 years in southeastern Wisconsin doing jazz, rock, funk, country, indie, and more. ZTF Studio brings success to your recording project. All right, back to the interview. And then, and then we worked on Oh, the Miracle. Actually, no, we worked on Bradford Beach Hymnal. Yeah, I think Bradford Beach Hymnal came first. Uh, I was just messing around with the keyboard, and I, if you notice in that song, there are a lot of sustained chords. So, um, I mean, it definitely got that ambient kind of sound with the, with the way the um, keyboard was set to. But mm-hmm. that basically was just the foundation of that. And then it, Basically, we basically built upon it. We wanted to use a lot of vocals and vocal harmonies with that one because mm-hmm. I think it just worked. That worked best. to make it, I guess, as close to hymnal as one could. And then I think uh, for the guitar part, I used like I used an alternative tuning, uh, which was a tuning I made up, which was like drop C, then drop the high E to C, and then tune everything down a step. And uh, I, I experimented with some of that. Um, and then. Uh, Interesting, because yeah. that would be what C, if you start for the lowest string, that'd be C, B, C, B, C, A, A, um, uh, A again. No, A again. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. no. Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure it's uh, C, B, C. Then, G, um, the G would, the G would, oh, the G would go oh, down to the an G F. Oh, F, 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 then F, A, A, C. A, and C. Okay. Yeah, F, A, C. That's what I remember. It's a cac fac. That's how. I, that's how <laughs> I remember it. Or got Yeah, <laughs> I guess. But uh, yeah, uh, we used that, and then um, I double tracked it with an arpeggiation of the chord for the intro. And then to build momentum through the second half of that chorus or whatever you want to call it. Because the song has a weird reverse kind of build to it. You have It starts with the chorus, then you have the verse, which is Cameron singing. And then you have the chorus again with all of us singing. And then you have the that verse again. And then... Yeah, the choruses the and chorus. the verses are almost they're, kind they're of switched. swapped. Yeah, they're switched. Yeah. And um, I think, too, like... You know, again, I, I used that motif of the string sampler, uh, which was literally that sample. Then I actually played it out of my speakers into an iPad on GarageBand with their sampler and plugged that iPad from the aux cord into my audio interface. And then, uh, or actually, I even plugged it through some guitar pedals. I plugged it through a Walrus Audio Voyager. And then from the Voyager, which acted as a preamp, into that amp, uh, into the... Uh, focus right and then recorded it that way so even we didn't sure we used midi that way 
But we didn't use MIDI like note replacement or anything like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then um, we uh, we basically wrote that song about um, about just like the general state of Bradford Beach. They're wanting to privatize the beach, and it's just completely filthy. Um, you know, we found I found like hypodermic needles, and we found trash and garbage, and you know. Um, you know, and, the, and it was just kind of the disdain for that and just how the city wants to change something that everybody loves, I think. And it is open to everybody, um, you know, for being the most segregated city in the United States. Because Bradford Beach is the place where, you know, anyone and everyone is, you know, and that was like a great destination for everyone to come to. Yeah. And they want to privatize it, which means, you know, paid parking and and paid entry when the parking's free and the entry's free, uh, you know, and it's just a place to be, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it, it's one of my favorite beaches and, and just seeing it like that was really, really shitty. Yeah. Uh, that's what we wrote the, the uh, lyrics about, you know, and then, yeah. Uh, and then just like, you know, the general disdain of like venture capitalism exploiting people because that exploitation leads to environmental damage, what we've been seeing on the beach. Oh, what a fickle thing, walking around this side of town. Everybody knows it. I see
Yeah, and the last one is Oh, the Miracle, which um, I think uh, Hunter started with the chords. Of yeah, the, the, chord, the chord choice was interesting because, like I said, I was in jazz band and I had this chord book of jazz standards and I found it in the back of my car when I moved down here because it just sat there. Mm-hmm. And I pulled it out and I started practicing these jazz standards and then I just found some really nice chords that I enjoyed and you know, incorporated them into the composition. Uh, and that's kind of where it started. Yeah. And then we built upon it. Um, I think I... The, you added the intro. For the intro, it's the same chords, but there's one extra Right, one there's that the B end. flat, right? It's it's an F sus2. Is it? Yeah. No, because... Well, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's some theory mumbo-jumbo, but... Right. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and then, you know, we added the jam afterwards because not only did we feel that it was cool to have a false ending, I'm a huge fan of false endings, especially with the, I think it bookended the the album well because the first song had a false ending with that synth reintroduction in in the outro. And then the last song had that uh, jam section where we were in the uh, rehearsal space and we're just uh, going crazy with the overdubs at that point and we're just adding guitars and guitars and uh, just going crazy with the effects. I had uh, one particular pedal on my board. I have like 15 pedals on my board and two power supplies to run them all using the electroharmonics blurst and then the MXR uh, Dynacomp as a boost. And then the um, and then I used the Wallace Audio Voyager, which my girlfriend just bought me as a, uh, as a birthday gift uh, out of nowhere, which is fucking awesome. You know, that was the pedal I wanted for a nice natural like dirt sound and uh you know and then i just kept cascading that sound to sound like a cascade and there's a little easter egg in uh the last bit of that song when the drums stop and the guitars and synths are fading out alex like since he was going hard on the drums he just yells fuck as he's done (laughs) and then and then right as the song ends when there's nothing else playing you just hear a little giggle of him like right at the end
we all want to do like for the next album we want to be generally faster uh and and we want to kind of naturally evolve our sound and we're actually currently working on another single it's working title is um i'd rather take a walk and that uh once we get all the instruments recorded for that um that should be out you know by like late june uh so that that we have another song cooking and then after that we're we're gonna basically be working on shows and then back into the studio space to record again cool very cool yeah i mean and the reason i asked that is i think you know besides the listeners um interested in how different uh groups and bands put together their albums is that i myself as a recording engineer for the last 20 years i love hearing how other people that don't go to recording studios or don't go to professional mm -hmm. mixing engineers put it all together and still make it sound decent mm -hmm. if not better than decent you know really really good so you know you know, every, you know, it used to be that thought that you had to go to a professional studio, you had right. to have a professional, you know, and not to take away from people like myself, but there are talented people like yourselves who can Thanks. sometimes do it themselves and they don't need that higher level person to do it for them because mm -hmm. they know exactly how they want it to sound and they'll work on it over and over again until it sounds exactly how they want it to sound before they release it. Absolutely. I think because part of my experience is that I've been recording for so long amateurly. And then I did session work at uh, the Green Bay's Northwest Technical College in their recording studio with my friend Luke from Mike's Music and Sound and Fond du Lac. He also taught there. And so I got you know introduced to like this hundred grand mixer, crazy preamps, um, Neumann microphones, which is like, you know, the holy grail of, of microphones, you know, and, yep. and before that, I, I worked in a post-hardcore band uh, as a bass player where we, uh, where I played bass in acoustic guitar in the uh, UW Oshkosh recording studio. Um, and I had experience with that desk and, and I, over time of like learning, like, cause one of my recording heroes is Steve Albini and uh, Dave Fridman and um kind of going from their playbook and not necessarily stealing from them but learning how they found their sounds and trying to find my own sound and technique through that so the reamping process uh like vocal reampings we did a lot where i would just use a monitor and play in an empty room with the microphone at the back end of it recording the reverb sounds and then using that as a bus to, to uh, add in the effect of reverb or um, uh, tracking down all the drum track, all the individual drum parts, you know, drum pieces down to a single bus to treat the whole drum kit like a, like a drum, you know, like one single instrument and, and mm -hmm. doing like the compression, the EQ, the room microphones, microphone placement, which is something that I learned while I was working in that studio because I was doing session work there and I was also helping teach the students uh how to use those different recording techniques which kind of blew my mind that i was able to like have the privilege to do something like that because i never really thought of myself as being someone of that caliber whatever you want to call it which i still don't think i am uh, let's get that straight i am very amateur and i'm very uh rusty when it comes to the recording process but um being there it was a real privilege to kind of show them how i recorded and how I recorded, um, you know, where I placed the mic in the speaker cone so you get the minimal amount of hiss 
or um, doing something crazy like putting an Audix D4 microphone in the back of a cabinet and then putting an SM57 in the correct space and then having a diaphragm about like a f like two drumsticks length from there to get you know more of the room sound and then putting another microphone way in the back of the room so you have like five microphones on one guitar sound and um, you know mixing them in and EQing them in properly and um, I'm very anal about mic placements, mic sounds, um, and just that kind of technical aspect, the preamps that we use, the VLA2 Pro um, and the compressor or whatever ones. I, I, I don't know, they have, the, they have the preamp and then the compressor, which I have as rack units. And then, um, you know, uh, just using different guitar effects that would make your guitar sound like a string synthesizer or a Mellotron. I have the Mel 9 pedal. So you stack that with our string sample and you get something that sounds organic because of that natural detune like beat frequency. And uh, there's a lot of like tiny things that I pay attention to in that recording process that allows me to bring out more in, in of something into a mix versus not doing that and, and not caring about like stereo field depth or, you know, something like that. But, you know, I'm also really shitty with the, choice of microphone sometimes because we used our kick microphone was just an sm57 that was it we used an sm57 for the kick we shoved that in there and then we had a contact microphone on a rack tom uh which was really bizarre but we went with and we just did all this different uh weird things you know that that uh we thought would make our sound unique and and yeah and there's nothing wrong with that i mean experimentation is 90 percent of the recording process because oh yeah oh, totally. you know you could stick you, the same kind of microphones on a different setup and it's going to sound completely different yes absolutely because you know there's all those tiny idiosyncrasies that are involved in that like it can come down to the wiring in your building that you're recording in will have a tonal effect on how you sound yeah and when i when i um i own i used to own a studio in kenosha about oh, 20 right years ago and when I upgraded the wiring, it was night and day. It was just yeah. completely different. Yeah. And then I, I look at Steve Albini's studio tour in Studio B, and he's explaining the fuse box and how every single terminal is grounded. And he yep. over a million terminal connections in that studio alone. And um, that's just fucking fascinating that the sound transfer of quality um, – isn't just about the type of microphone and the preamps you use, but it's the room you're in. It's the room you're mixing in too. Yep. It's the uh, the room that, or or the if you decide to use like echo chambers, uh, which I did on this album, and um, you know just all those different choices that you can make. Um, you know, or like I would deaden the shit out of the drums to make them sound like beefier and lower, to make them sound almost as if they were sampled. Not, yep. not bad sample, but like in a, you know, like if you're listening to Mad Lib or if you're listening to Wu-Tang, um, you know, or even like newer stuff like Tyler Creator, you know, where it's, you know, it's obviously organic drums, but pitch shift. I didn't do the pitch shifting. I just tuned the drums to that and deadened them and, and tried to manipulate the drum sounds. Just recording drums is one of my favorite things ever because mm -hmm. so many things you can do that will still make the drum kit sound not only unique, but good. Yeah. It's like, um, have you ever heard of the engineer Chad Blake? Absolutely. Yeah, that he, no one else can make can mix drums or record drums like him. 
They no. can try, but they'll never they'll never be able to do it just like you yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Or like those Motown in bass sounds. Yep. Um we didn't we didn't fuck with uh cuz I have a um a uh, Ampeg uh B15 and an SVT350 into a uh 15 inch uh basement cab and um we didn't bother using that or even the direct out. We just went direct in with a preamp and we used again, that, um, that Walrus audio Voyager, which is on almost everything on that record, because why not? It's just such a great versatile, basic preamp because, you know, you can mix it very slightly and you get just the greatest amount of saturation out of it. And it acts like a, a whole rack unit when it's just a guitar pedal that you're running vocals through or, your your ipad through you know or that you're using um and that like you said goes into the experimentation um we're gonna have to digress a little bit here because we are getting towards the end here but i definitely want to love to talk to you more about that at a later date um but let's um let's kind of finish this up here work-life balance you find that a tough thing to do or not such a tough thing to do um i think it's not as tough. I mean, the only person that has to really think about scheduling is our drummer, Alex, because he works full-time as an apprenticeship uh, for an electrician. But okay. otherwise, I mean, what do you think? I mean, it like at the beginning of January and February, I didn't really have much going on aside from this. But now I have um, school and I also have a part-time job I'm working so it's been a little harder recently to um, have like a perfect work-life type of balance. But um, I mean, it hasn't been that bad. Right. And the last couple of things I ask is, is there a gig that made a big impression on you and why so? If so. Like a gig we played or a gig we saw? It could be either or. I think for me, a gig that I saw would be when I saw the Flaming Lips playing with Mac DeMarco at the Rave a couple of years ago. Um, being a huge Flaming Lips fan and just uh, seeing the amount of theatrics that they use really impressed me. And then just the show that I played, I played live at a uh, almost sold out venue at um, the train station in Appleton with my last band. And uh, that was really awesome. Um, because it was just, it was right before COVID started with the lockdowns and, um, it was just really cool to see that happen. Yeah. For me, probably the show, it, it wasn't like a massive show or anything. It was a little house show. Oh yeah. Was, that, that my band played in. Yeah. Um, uh, so Ginger Power Chip and Meta Discourse played there. And that was my first real experience of the local Milwaukee scene of music and, I guess the first thing I thought of was I really want to be a part of that, you know, and that to this day is probably the biggest impression that I've ever gotten from a single concert or show. As I wrap this up, what, what's on your playlist right now? What artists are you listening to that you think doesn't get enough recognition that you'd like to give a shout out to? Beirut, 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 Beirut. Uh, I've been getting everyone here in my friend group into Beirut because I showed them Elephant Gun. Uh, huge, huge inspiration to me. Um, also, Sandy Alex G, uh, in, uh, indie artist from Philadelphia, who just is doing something different. Um, you know, it's not not to knock the kind of indie 
chorus-y guitars and stuff, but he's not doing something like that. It sounds different, it sounds unique, and it sounds like him. Uh, Wilco, um, but then, you know, local bands like Diet Light, Shuby, um, uh, you know, uh, Dog Bad, Social Sig, um, you know, those bands, uh, especially too, you know, listening to what they have in rotation and their adjacent projects for me, for me, um, I think that, like like he said, like all the local bands like Dog Bad and Social Sig. Um, also, uh, I think it's Violent Echoes. Yep, Violent Echoes. Yeah, because Tommy released some demos to us. Uh, they showed us some demos that they had of Violent yeah, Echoes. To be honest, I was blown away because not only does it sound good, but it sounds obscure and unique, which is a very, very rare thing to have all three. Yeah, it sounds like some form of outsider music that's been refined and um, controlled chaos, I guess, yeah. is the best way to describe it. Cool, very cool. So everybody that's listening, check out those local bands. Gentlemen, this has been a phenomenal conversation. I appreciate you guys being on here so, so, so very much. Thanks for having us. Oh, yeah, man. for sure. It's, it's been an honor and a pleasure. Well, that was Howard's Groove. So I hope everybody enjoyed that. Also, remember, we also talked to Lizzie Chikowski from Make Music Milwaukee, which is happening next week, Monday, June 21st. So make sure you get involved in that if you'd like to. If you're interested, we have a new feature on Friday. It's called the Friday Music Showcase, where I showcase two different artists and they give us a little bio about themselves and a little information behind each song. If you're interested in being on the Friday music showcase please email wisconsin music podcast at gmail.com in the subject type in friday music showcase and in the email itself send two songs a little bio about yourself and the stories behind each song also send me your social links as well don't forget you can also be on the monday podcast sign up on the website at wisconsinmusicpodcast.com fill out the guest request form and then after you hit submit check your email it might actually land in your junk or spam folder but there should be an email there asking for more information on being on the monday podcast i'd like to thank nate wyckoff for creating the music for the wisconsin music podcast and to Dean Bundy for our great voiceover in the beginning and intro. Thanks to Jacob at CW Hip Hop for syndicating our podcast every Monday at 4 p.m. at CWHipHop.com. Also, ZTF Studio Recording and Mixing Services, specializing in singles, demos, EPs, and LP projects for the last 20 years in southeastern Wisconsin, doing jazz, rock, funk, country, indie, and more. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you on Friday.